0: Everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. It should not come as a surprise that even coaches working at the highest level of sport are not advocating for early specialization. This is further proof that the overeager dad at your kid's little league game needs to chill the fuck out. Daniel Roos may specialize in bringing up some of the most competitive college basketball players that the NCAA has seen, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't learned some unorthodox things along the way. Roos is fired up about how detrimental it can be for kids' development to be limited to just one sport as young as seven or eight years old. Hear the science behind his philosophy and the possible outcome of such a finite athletic path. Here it is, episode 329.
1: Happy.
2: Yes, we just go. We are in person with coach Dan Roos. Dan, how you doing, man? I am terrific. Awesome. So we have a big move coming up, and you have a limited time in Austin, Texas, so we took this opportunity to bring you out to Power Athlete Ranch and take you around, show you around, and now we get the opportunity to sit down and just talk some shop and get to know you a little bit, man. Thank God you guys didn't get
1: bit by any snakes or anything. We were... We were a little nervous we were very careful dude uh texas um i was telling uh doc Parsi this morning that the the rise of like snake bites is up like 34 percent or 37 percent. but then when we looked at like the numbers it's like one out of like every like two hundred thousand people gets bit so we're like ah it's probably not good but yeah with my luck it'd be like oh we're walking around because we've seen uh we've seen rattlers um allegedly I, i've never seen a pit viper or uh um uh, what do you call it like a the water snakes, like the water vipers, water moccasins. Yeah, water moccasins. But my neighbor told me he got chased once by water moccasin. I, I have uh, nothing to do with that. We have seen coral snakes. I've seen a few on my bike. Yeah, so coral snakes, though, uh, they are they have kind of small mouths. I've heard that. So you got to really, like, go out of your way to get bit by one. I've heard they have to actually gnaw on you, yeah. you know, to, to make something
3: yeah. happen. So I'm not super scared of those yeah, as I they am of the Texas rattlers. Yeah, I mean, we one,
1: one day we were, uh, like, down there, or like, this way over by where the dam is, and uh, I saw, like, three different variations of snakes. We saw, um, like, these pretty big rat snakes, and then we saw a rattler, and then we saw a... Uh, the coral snake, and it was pretty interesting because I was like, "Man!" Uh, at that point, I just started rolling around with. I have this like little like um, it looks like a derringer, but it shoots little four tens. I think it's called like a snake destroyer, <laughs> snake charmer, like some <laughs> little pistol y thing. And uh, so I usually carry that anytime I got to do any ranch work. Right. You know, I'll keep that in my pocket. It, and shoot, I shoot. have seen right on the path the
2: who's the opposite of the coral snake that like made itself look
1: like Looked it, like it, but it's yeah, not poisonous. So it's yeah, um, red and yellow. Yeah. Uh, red and yellow, king, kill a fellow, red and white, you're in, you're all right, I think right. is how it goes. Right. So if it goes red, yellow, if red's next to yellow, then. Yeah. yeah, so we saw the safe one, I think. I usually don't stop long enough to discern the difference Oh, I, I had to get it right to, up in there. So <laughs> I, I killed a pretty good-sized snake uh, a couple years ago when we first got here, and I threw it in the back of Luke's truck, and I kind of propped the head up, kind of like it was <laughs> like it like, was Still alive? Uh, yeah, like I, like, like I, I stunned it pretty good, like hit the head, and then I just kind of like propped it up, like he had some crap in the back of his truck, so I kind of like propped it up right. and like had the head up. Um, Luke doesn't look in the back of his truck. Yeah. He drove around for— Three weeks Mm -hmm. with it, and finally I was like, did you ever notice that snake in the back? He's like, no, what are you talking about? And we went and looked, and there was like this decomposing snake in (laughs) the back of his bed. I'm like, okay, uh, joke. I I just figured he saw it, threw it away, and didn't say anything to try to like, you know, thwart my joke. And um, no, he just doesn't pay attention, doesn't look in his truck bed. He's like, how often do you look in your truck bed? I'm like, almost every day. And he's like, why? I'm like, so that people don't throw snakes and weird shit in my truck bed. Just seems like a normal thing to do. Yeah, for sure
2: all right Dan so all as always we roll it into it so in case listeners don't know who you are and your journey and where you've been in enlighten us I know it's been a long road to get here and where you're going so I don't know where you want to start but let's all
3: right I'm on. gonna I'm gonna give you the uh, the cliff notes version and and my 12 my year old son sits here listening to this so he's gonna get the the the, the quick version so of this you as want. well <laughs> right exactly um, so so, when I got out of college, I was uh, I, I knew I was going to coach. I wasn't real sure what I was going to coach, but I knew by about age 12 that, that coaching people was what I, what I was going to do. And so I had a physical education degree, and uh, I was teaching elementary school physical education, and I was coaching at the high school right down the street. And uh, at the time, you know, I'm 23, 24, and... I've got some older guys in there like, "Well, you're young, you, you should go out and, and get your master's degree paid for. And I'm thinking, nah, I don't want to do, I don't want to go back to school. I'm not good. That's, that's cool. Let's, let's cool it on that. You know, well, smarter smarter thinking prevailed there, you know, and I ended up getting a job at Campbell University. Um, small Division I school in, in Central North Carolina. My title was assistant strength coach. There was no pay. Um, there was no school involved either. Oh, no. <laughs> and so it, it, it was an unbelievable experience. And then it was my first in collegiate strength and conditioning. I had no idea what I was doing. I worked for a guy there that was super passionate. He was so passionate about strength and conditioning that a lot of the coaches didn't like him because if they did not like, something he was doing in his programming then he would just burn that bridge with them and so they would just stop training the the teams themselves, a division one school and so I think I was training about 10 of the 16 teams there and midway through the year he left for another job and being a small division one school with no football at the time they have football now, Uh, they did not want to pay someone for the rest of the fiscal year so you got it you seem to seem to have a handle on this. No, I didn't. But they didn't know any better, you know. Yeah. Sport administrators are clueless when it comes to strength and conditioning and sure. athletic performance and things like that. And so, you know, I, I took this as an opportunity. At the time, I didn't know I was twenty four or something. Um, the 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 kids responded to me, you know, and it, and I would just take a whiteboard in there and throw a workout up, and I mean, no rhyme or reason. It, it was probably some of the worst programming you're ever going to see in your life. I mean, I, I can't even uh, imagine. Don't sell yourself yeah, sure. I, We've yeah, seen we, some bad you, stuff. You, you, everyone's seen some bad stuff. And as I look back, and I'd love to find some of those files on how bad it was. Uh, but, it, you know, at the same time, you take kids that are, that are 18 to 22 with, with more growth hormone and testosterone going through their body at any time in their life, and you're going to be able to do anything with them for the most part, and they're going to get better. Granted, you're going to try not to get them hurt. You might not know any better at the time, you know, what we're doing, and we're hitting hitting heavy singles and things like that, you know, and things that I don't do with some athletes now. Um, but at the same time, it was fun, great experience. And I kind of turned that into a, a graduate assistantship. And so I, I used that experience, you know, to, to send out probably 100 emails and, and things like that to places. and hopefully piggybacking on being that interim strength coach there and, and using that. And uh, I ended up at Marshall University working right. for a guy named John Sanderson. Um, and, and it was just an unbelievable uh, hotbed of, of learning and, and talent and knowledge all at once. Um, Cameron Davidson, who is a, is a really, really smart guy, um, he's a strength coach at Penn State, for their volleyball and hockey teams. Um, and he uh, was my roommate, uh, we are GAs together. Um, John Sanderson, my boss, he's the Michigan basketball strength coach now, does an unbelievable job. Um, Vaughn Robinson, who is uh, one of the Diamondbacks, Major League Baseball strength coach, uh, with them for a long time. A um, few more people, and so we had this group of people and, and we're there just working all the time. and. We have no idea what we're doing again, but we've got a little better idea of what we're doing than when I was at Campbell, and uh, we're just kind of learning from each other and, and applying all these different things. And you know, I, I'll never forget that time we we got we were we were just down the road from from Westside, uh, you know, up open Ohio, with, with Louie and that stuff. And that that was really the 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 internet boom and the amount of information out. And we, we got real into conjugate periodization, and uh, it we were all writing programs for our teams, you know, and I had women's soccer. Oh, and so the yes. women's soccer trained it at 6 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I've written this, this real complex conjugate program for, for these girls in their off season. And to, to just have them awake at 6 a.m. and, and breathing was a victory a victory. To be able to get them excited about a max effort or a rep effort or something like that was not happening like, no. the the level of understanding that went into that was was just not there however great learning experience <laughs> learn what not to do in certain ways you know and there were things we did with baseball players you know along those lines that were great and that worked and there were other teams that wasn't going to work with but it's just a it, The age that we were, you know, we're all 25, 26 at the time. We were all just figuring out, you know, what to do. And that's, you know, 13, 14 years ago at this point, you know. Um, And so we're just figuring it out. And it was a great experience. Kind of took that and, and, you know, this guy beside me was born about that time, 12 years ago. Um, I went to a place called UNC Pembroke. Um, it was a division two school in North Carolina, they were starting a football program, which was very appealing to me, um, at the time, uh, because as you get into this as a strength coach and you want to train football, right? And so that's, seems like a fun thing to do. And so we get down there and, uh, I've got my own weight room for football, brand new, brand new field house, great head coach. And then they let me build a weight room for the rest of the athletes, um, By myself, 16 sports, Um, but the the football team was being young, but we also took a lot of bounce backs. We took a lot of transfers. Um, In that area of North Carolina, there's a lot of talent in football, and so we had a really talented young team, and it was a lot of fun to train those guys. Um, You talk about as a growing as a coach and spots where you really learned and really became a coach, that was it for me. Because at Marshall, I was always going to be looked at as a GA first or graduate assistant, you know, even though I took yeah. a full-time job from there. Um, but at UNC Pembroke, all of a sudden I was the expert. And not only was I the expert, but at the Division II level, the amount of things I could try experiment uh, with, you know, w- was – Outstanding! What I could do with those kids, and, and the amount of time I had with those kids, and the limitations that that are there at this level, like the University of Texas, and, and yeah. how many directions these kids are pulled, and the external stressors that go into that. There, man, they were at my disposal. You know, there's nothing else to do in Pembroke, North Carolina, but get better. Yeah, um, and
2: so we had a great time there. It's a, a big push, I guess. Meeting and going to these conferences and working and meeting D two and three. I'm a big advocate for those guys to enjoy their experience at those levels, because no that's where you learn to coach. No doubt,
3: absolutely. I can't stress enough um, that the other thing at the Division two level is I taught class.
2: Oh wow! And so awesome. I walked
3: in there, and they said, "Okay, you're teaching kinesiology," and my first thought is okay. (laughs) I I remember kinesiology in grad school, you know, and, but, and it was such an unbelievable blessing as a strength coach to be able to do that because I had to teach the science of human movement and I had to be an expert on that. And for two years, that made me such a better coach Mm -hmm. having that versus sitting in a class and learning and sitting in a class and listening to a lecture. And all of a sudden I'm putting together PowerPoint presentations, you know, on why we're why we're attacking valgus of, of the knees and things like that, and I, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is actually relevant to, to what I'm doing every day, you know. Yeah. And so that was such a great experience, and I can't, you know, if people ever get the chance to do that in our field, it it really does make you a better coach, you know, the, the teaching people what you're doing you know, is, is the ultimate, you know, especially if you're not in, in not a hands-on environment. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, mm-hmm. we work in a weight room every day, and we teach. We're teachers. That's what we do, you know. I'm a teacher at heart. That's what my job is. But to get up there in front of people, and all you have is a PowerPoint, you know, in your mind, that, that makes it, that's a, that's a challenge, you know. After that was, uh, was where we went into the basketball realm solely. Um, so for the last... 11 years, I have done men's basketball, um, and that was an adjustment initially, because, and here's here's what I tell people about that, is if I'm coaching 10 sports, 8 sports, 4 sports, 16 sports, you know, all numbers that I've done before, I can have a bad day with a group. I can not be my best. Well... Guess what? In five minutes, I'm training the softball team, and I can't wait to train them because they're they're in their off season and they're excited to be here. You know, so you just shift gears and go. You mm-hmm. move on with training one sport, with training 15 guys at the most. If I have an off day with those guys, and I I, I can't I can't remedy that, you know, in the next hour, you know, and make myself I, I've got to live with that for the next day or maybe it's two days, whatever it is, until we touch those guys again, you know, and. That's with training one sport. You're, 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 your hands are on them, you know, or you're manipulating them, or you're talking to them in so many different realms than you are if you're just training them for an hour and sending them on their way to their practice or things like that, you know. So,
1: well, you're also at their practices. Exactly. You're like in the training room. I mean, you're with them yeah, 24 that, hours that's a day. It, it's, it's, it's meals, it's meeting,
3: and it, it's those organic times. When you do a lot of your coaching.
1: You and know? it's not like football where you have, you know, 75, 80 in college right. or 90 people. Right. It's like 15 dudes and it's that's just it. us. That's it. And, and, and fo- in football, there's such a different culture
3: to that, as there are with all sports. All sports are different cultures. Soccer loves the term fitness. I, I, I don't know, <laughs> that, that's their term. But in football, there's certain guys that gravitate to the strength and conditioning coach because, mm-hmm. you know, the position coach. That, that they're going to spend a ton of time with in that film room. And, you know, that position coach is going to have his guys. You know, there's going to be a few in the back of that room.
1: Yeah, that, nobody that, likes that, to hang out with right, that position right, coach. Right, that, nobody likes him. No, it, you know why? Because he's always fucking busting your balls. <laughs> like, like there's always a very uh, tumultuous relationship with your position coach. But, no, it's true. Uh, in... Um, in football, uh, there are guys who end up becoming, and uh, like for me, like I was always friends with all of our strength coaches. Right. To this day, I'm still friends right. with them, and we've had a bunch of them on our podcast, and right. you know they're all still good friends of mine. Uh, other guys were real big with the trainers. Yep. So uh, I have a personal dislike for uh, ankle tapers, as I call them. I think <laughs> ATCs, and even though I've had good relationships with like all the guys that I was with, I just have a inherent like something about – Fucking ankle tapers. Right, right. Uh, so, like, there, I always thought guys that hang out in the in the training room usually end up getting injured more. Yep. So, I wasn't a hang out in the weight room, in the training room guy. I'd rather go hang out in the weight room. I figure you can get, at least get strength through osmosis. There are.
3: and there are those guys, you know. And th- there's a couple of my guys that are that are collegiate strength coaches now that were those guys, you yeah. know, because <laughs> that's what they did. That's where they like to be, you know. So that was fun. But with basketball, with 15 guys, you know, you are you're with them a ton of time ton of time throughout the day and then if you're not with them you're hitting them what are you eating send me a picture of your food you know yeah, things like yeah, that that's, that's that's where we where we spend a, a great deal of time and we talked about it this morning a little bit yeah. with these guys and their eating and the habits that we try to help and the the sad thing about it is i don't know if it's sad but is a lot of times when they're 25 is when
1: it hits them you know uh, we had one what of, is it? Uh, uh, youth is wasted on the youth kind <laughs> yeah, of a right. deal. And then they get out and they're 25 and they realize they had that training table and all that uh, stuff. They, they come back. they like, fuck.
3: Like, I really wish I would have taken advantage of this.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I wish you would have
3: to. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, it's like I never told you this. <laughs> we might have won a couple more games if you take yeah.
2: advantage of this, but uh, that's where we are. Yeah.
3: <laughs> fuck.
2: No. Um, I, I toured Kansas, Kansas's facility. So I was up at Hootie's conference and Mm -hmm. zillner actually took me around like the underneath and their athletic training room their weight room phenomenal it's beautiful but their athletic training room is is probably about as size as this podcast room and just the ugliest old like that old field house is super old so i think they just make it the worst
1: Right. Well, um, Basement room ever to keep in, them out. In football, uh, guys like uh, there, I used to tell young guys, I'm like, don't hang out in the training room because dudes always go in there and sleep or, like, lay down or eat lunch or hang out or do this. And I'd be like, man, like, I would make that place so unappealing right. that nobody wants to go in there. I'd make, like, the weight room, like, the nicest place. Like, I, it just – it's kind of a psychology deal where, like, you know, you want place, you, you want people to always be in like a, a growth mindset. And Absolutely. I sometimes think that like the training room is, uh, you know, where you go where you're injured, and it's not a, even though the idea is to get you better, it's not, it's not the place you want to be. Absolutely. So to make it like kind and gentle and make guys want to hang out in there, I'm like, fucking, don't go in there. It's like it's like herpes on spring break. If you hang out long enough, you're gonna get it.
3: You're gonna get it.
1: Yeah. Doubt. <laughs> Tex, you gonna tell me about the second time you got herpes? That's a loaded question. <laughs> I refuse to.
2: Let me tell you about the second time I got that. herpes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, let's, we can stick with basketball. So you had the opportunity, which was VCU. Was that your first full time?
3: That was uh, that was when we made the transition from uh, all sports
1: to basketball. Hmm. Was it VCU uh, in two thousand and nine? I guess. How um, I always wondered with the. Uh, the basketball i mean obviously you know we we know uh zillner and um i didn't really get a chance to talk to him because i know women training women is a little bit different but i always wonder um, and my only experience with it is, you know, I went to Berkeley and, uh, at the time uh, basketball didn't have their own weight room. Right. So they trained in the football weight room. So I used to see those guys in there quite often. And the guy who was their head, who was the basketball strength coach kind of ran it almost like, I would almost say like a personal training business mm-hmm. guys all had like, you know, football, we had times like, Hey, you come in at this time and this time and you show up and like, it's a group, it's a group workout. He actually booked those guys for individual sessions. Because, I mean, what's there, like 15 of them. And uh, Sharif Abdul Rahim was there, which was funny because uh, he personally trained Sharif's mom. That was part of the deal when he came there. I want my mom to get some personal training. So our strength coach, who's our basketball guy, also is, trained his is mom. Is that a violation? That sounds like an extra benefit. <laughs> oh, oh, unbelievable. Uh, she also had a job on campus. Yeah. And uh, his sister and her brother got, uh, got scholarships to go to, um, uh, what's, the, what's the big football school, the private school? Um, De La Salle. De La Salle yeah. yeah, so his brother and his sister got scholarships even though they weren't athletes, got scholarships to go to De La. Uh, there was probably a, a shit ton of violations, but this is a long time ago, so I doubt they were going to go run them up the flagpole now. But so Sharif's mom would come in, and I, was, I remember like seeing our our strength coach in there, and I'm like, who's that, who's that woman you're training? And he's like, oh, it's Sharif's mom. I'm like, oh, I guess it's a big deal. So uh, but I remember he ran it kind of like personal training. He like guys would come in and he would take them through their workouts like a personal trainer. And I always remember watching uh, him train those guys. And I was going to ask you the same question. Like like I know if you were to train football guys or, you know, athletes, there's kind of a standard template. Like you were talking about like some West Side conjugate stuff. But with the basketball guys, they were so tall that like there were just really interesting limitations that they had. And uh, I just I always thought it was kind of an interesting Way to kind of skin the cat to to you know get these guys to work because it was like you know squatting was an issue and pull ups I mean we didn't have racks really tall enough for the guys and so it was just I was wondering about some of the the what's the right word like constraints or issues or workarounds or how you kind of train those guys unique to basketball which it wouldn't necessarily be the case in other sports yeah terrific question and it's uh, eleven years in the making and <laughs> still
3: don't have that been figured out totally but i tell you what I do have is uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence um, with that because the, the guy that I've worked for for the last 11 years, uh, Coach Smart, we, we recruit long, lean athletes that can come in and they can jump and touch the top of the square on the backboard. That's just what they did. You know, they wouldn't be at the University of Texas or VCU before that if they could not do that. Okay, We, we don't want them. That being said and, and we're going to really dive into uh what I'm very passionate about here um is is the early specialization of these athletes um because at age seven, eight, nine sometimes is when these guys get identified. Why do they get identified because of their height because of their length they're like seven you know, years old seven and six feet old. tall, right <laughs> yeah. exactly. And so they get identified in, and natural selection occurs, you know, I mean I, I've watched it with my son here with, with baseball and football is Yeah, the good kids they take them, you know, and they form their own teams and that's how travel teams and select teams and things like that are Formed, you know seven eight nine And so then they they spend year-round playing their sport and practicing for their sport well that's all well and good, um, and especially in a sport driven by skills, of shooting, dribbling, passing. Sometimes passing, not so much anymore. Um, but their only form of conditioning then is these practices, which what do basketball coaches do for conditioning at practice? You oh, uh, run lines. Put them on lines. 17s. Yeah. 17s, 22s. You know, yeah. I, they don't use the term suicide anymore. Oh, yeah, no, they don't so, run suicides. Right, okay. So they run... Touches You have four touches, things yeah. like that. Um, but that's what they do for their conditioning. And, you know, all of this creates a litany of problems for these outstanding basketball players as they hit puberty, post-puberty, go to college, things like that. Are, are they good at basketball? Yes, they're good. If they're not, they're not going to get a college scholarship. Are they robust, resilient athletes? No, not at all. They're a mess. Okay. And the reason is they've not played multiple sports. So they've not been exposed to a variety of movement patterns. They've not been exposed to energy system specific conditioning that go with other sports. Okay. So all they've done is run the lines, you know, and and, and sprinted before they have a underdeveloped. But what if you have a
1: kid who's like, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you could probably give me a um, – you probably have a spreadsheet somewhere based on like, hey, like if a kid is 10 years old and he's 6 feet tall, then, you know, and his dad is, you know, 6-something. You know, like you can probably do some yeah, math. Yeah. I just wonder at like uh, – at those ages, um, I wonder like – you know, obviously, we're big fans of like you know the the idea of periodization through multiple sports. It just helps sure. with it. But I wonder if there gets to be a point where all of a sudden they grow to a certain height where like no longer are they advantageous to play other positions. Like right. if a kid's twelve years old and he's six foot six uh, playing football, he's probably gonna really struggle. But you know, on the basketball court, it just becomes some good. So I, I wonder if some of that like early specializations just due okay. to because. Well, it. Just can't is, do anything else. Specialization, whether we like it or not, is here to stay.
3: It. it it's the way of the world today, and there's a lot of factors that go into Man, that. And
1: I fucking I push so hard back again. Right. Even, even though, like, um, some of my little girls are seven, and they play in uh, soccer, and we did, like, indoor soccer, and, dude, the minute it got done, they were trying to sign them up for these travel teams and this, and I told them, I'm like, they want to swim, they ride horses, yeah. they do gymnastics, and this coach was trying to tell me, which I thought was fucking ironic, about, you know, hey, if they have any desire to get a Scott, and he's pitching me this at seven, and I was like, dude, do you know what I did for a living?" And the guy's like, no. I was like, I played in the NFL for a decade. I got a college scholarship, and you know what's crazy is the sport that I got a scholarship on, I didn't even play till I got to high school, right. and I thought it was stupid for right. a couple of years, and this is what I did leading up to this yep. thing, and the skills that I developed outside were more mm. beneficial for football than football yep. could have ever been, and like I'm going through this thing, and of course, the guy just goes blank because he yep. has no fucking frame of reference. He just knows how to sell it, and I was like, don't worry. There's seven. Yeah. Like, oh, but they, if, if they're not playing on these teams now, they have no chance of playing in high school, and I was like, you know what? Um, uh, we'll see what happens, yeah. and if they don't, then we're meant to do it. But it, like, I'm I'm not going to push my little girls to play soccer all year around at seven years old because you tell me uh, it just it seems disingenuous. And, I've watched it with my
3: son here. I watch it grow, and I, I wrote an article for Austin Fit Magazine about this uh, phenomenon, and and what I watch is is so it, at age. Five, six, seven. You get your kids involved in sports because hey, that's what we did growing up. Yeah. It's a way to be around like-minded people. As parents, it's a social activity, and it's something to promote a healthy lifestyle for your kids. You know, which is what those of us that do these kind of things want, and
1: and educated people want for their kids. Well, you know? I mean, you you saw where I live and where right. my gym is. Exactly. I mean, it's right up the hill from exactly. the exactly, which is beautiful. It's unbelievable, but.
3: So then as I watched this this natural selection occur, you know, at at 9 and 10, a group of friends of his that are good at the game of baseball, they form a travel team and a select team. And I watched them at age 12 this year, and the pressure on those games was so great. What was y'all's record this year, 35 and 7 or something? Something ridiculous? But there were more bats thrown, helmets thrown, all the preteen hormones that go into that a little bit too – but the pressure from the parents oh, yeah. w- was so great, too. And I watched this as I, as I sit in the outfield by myself and read a book <laughs> because I can't stand yeah. to be around it. You sound like my a- brother. And so as as I, as I watched this and and I end up talking to someone uh, who knew, knew somebody at the Austin Fit, and they're like, would you please talk about this? And I said, here's what I want to talk about is, is youth sports specialization is here to stay as I said, for, for a variety of reasons. Number one is you can't let your kids just go outside and play all day
1: anymore. Like as, as I grew up, you know, just leave and play and come back later. That's actually why we live here. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, we made the move for these exact reasons because I wanted my kids to be able to go out and play and do all these things, you know, so. And and we're doing the same thing. And, and,
3: but you know, that ability. So now people send their kids to, to practices, you know, and, and skill specialization and, and, you know, thousand dollar batting lessons and ridiculous things like that, you know, and, and when they do that, you know these these kids are losing the ability to interact with different cultures of people and different things, and they they run in these same little groups like that, you know, and
1: so aside from the movement aspect, you're not getting the cultural aspect that you're going to get. Well, we're, you know? we're also um, uh, so I was at the Hall of Fame induction for Tony Gonzalez, uh, the you know the other day, so he got inducted on Saturday night. And sitting there listening to like Ed Reed and Tony and these guys talk, there was one uh, universal thing. I mean, Kevin Waugh as well um, was the idea that like, uh, you know, most things are forged in failure that like without failure, like Tony talked about, like all the different failures he'd had and how he had to like readjust and do these things. And like, you know, we have this uh, culture going right now where we're trying to prevent our kids from failing. Like, hey, if you're not good at baseball, it's not your fault. You had, you know, we just need to get you with the right coaches and do this. And it's like now all of a sudden these kids aren't over there out there playing over the line for hours. Their buddies learning to hit. They're working with a guy to teach them how to do this and to throw. I mean, I was uh, not a good baseball player. I could hit pretty decent, but my skills weren't good because all we ever played was over the line. So I learned to hit. And we just tried to crush the ball every time. So I didn't really ever learn how to field. And so like now my brother and I laughed about this. He's like, we were pretty good hitters, but we were terrible infielders. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Cause we just tried to like th- where we were playing over the line. We, it wasn't big enough for us to ever really field anything. And everybody just tried to yeah. hit, yeah. you know, hit dongs all the time. Right. And so, uh, I just laugh. Chicks do dig the long ball. <laughs> uh, and we, that's why we called it. The dong. <laughs> like, it was just like nothing like, like if you hit it out, you, you hit a dong. And I, I didn't even know why now I know why, but, um uh like you know playing basketball same thing I mean we only you know we played outside and it was like I didn't really learn how to shoot because uh every time you went for a shot somebody tried to you know basically like (laughs) knock you down so I only learned how to rebound like so it was like like I laugh at these things now of why like we didn't understand how to trade a complete game but we also learned how to scrap and like do these things and like uh, the problem is if there's always a practice or an adult there then like Kids kind of, you know, like, hey, he's always there to kind of monitor shit. Whereas if you're out there playing on the schoolyard or doing these things, like kids learn how to kind of figure out themselves. And if there's conflict, then they figure out how to deal with the conflict opposed from like the coach or the parent who's always there being the referee and always kind of judging everything. Because as an adult, if I see two kids fighting, well, actually, I would just let them fight most parents are going to run over there and break it up. I'm just like, it's kind of like dogs. Like, like if I took my dog to the dog park and the dog gets in a fight or they start battling, Mm -hmm. people want to run over. I'm like, just let them figure it out. They'll figure Uh, that shit out.
3: John, I fall totally in your line of thinking with the raising of children and letting them figure things out and self-organize. But, you know, it brings me back to the, the article I wrote is because with specialization, like it's going to happen. Well, how do we fill the gaps in? in that athletic development. What do we do about it versus just complaining about it? You know, so a, a few years ago, I, I got real into to, to primal movements and things mm. like that. As I watched these kids come in, these 18 year old kids come in that were nearly broken down because, you know, they've they were just kind of in a box, just locked in a box. Are you talking about the basketball players? Yeah, or? basketball players just locked Why, up in a box. Uh,
1: like, I I would think that the, the game of basketball being so fluid, right. like, wouldn't put them – like, they would hopefully be able to move in space and run and jump and be able to do some of these uh, skills. It, it, in the case of some, some guards and six-footers, that
3: that is the case sometimes. But with some of those guys – as you reach 6'6 six, six and 6'7, six, some of them, those long femurs and super long spines and stuff and the rate at which they grew, hmm. you know, along with specializing and only doing one set of movement patterns has, has limited them, their mobility and things like that. Uh, and we have a variety of different screens that we do to identify these things, along with just having a coach's eye for these things. But these kids come in and and just their ability to to hold an isometric lunge is not there. You know, it's just not part of what they do. You know, just being on one leg, you know, is difficult. You know, now at the same time, they're going to take off from inside the free
1: throw line and dunk it, you know, because... God, it seems so athletes. counterintuitive exactly. that they would have, like, such a ability to play the game. I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, I, I imagine UT's not recruiting you unless you're at least 6'6 six, six to be, even be the point guard. Right, right, like right. I'm, I mean, I, I don't know how it works, yeah. but I'm sure if a guy's like... You know, they're not bringing in a six foot four forward. Right, right. Yeah, we're not looking for those. <laughs> yeah, guys, no, I mean, uh, it just probably doesn't happen. So then you look at this guy, like, hey, we got this guy at 6'10. He can move really well within this space. And you bring him in, and he's probably, you know, always played his travel teams, and yep. they probably have, do it all year round. And so there really is no strength development program. No, no strength development
3: program. And so that's, that's what we want to do. We want to regress them to progress them. Hmm. Okay. And so that's where... How do you sell that to the kid? Yeah, that's something that you be- don't sell to the kid until they get there, and you say, okay, this <laughs> is what we're going to do now.
1: Because you know? uh, I got to think, I mean, I, I know in the NFL, like, you got to at least be out of high school three years, I think. Exactly, yeah. Um, like, I was thinking, like, you know, what Tony Gonzalez was three years, and he was, you know, first-round draft pick, so, I mean, he was pretty lucky. But uh, most, of, I, I, is it still the same, like, one year? One year, year but I, they're doing away with that in a couple... Two
2: years, I think twenty twenty one will be. Because didn't LeBron like LeBron and Kobe just right. go straight? They went straight. Yeah, they went straight. They, but yeah, they went straight. And now LeBron's pushing for this rule change so he can be a father son combo on so the Lakers. Son, yeah. <laughs> oh, he he's his
3: son is a ninth grader and a a prodigy. This yeah,
1: year. yeah. It, well, I, I saw he's the been uh, around the best forever. Oh, I, I Since saw it, birth. is his son ninth eighth grade or ninth grade? Ninth grade uh, this year. Ninth grade. Oh man, I watched him in the. Um, uh, they showed a bunch of clips on TV of like LeBron at the game, like jumping around and stuff. And yeah. the kid. Oh, yeah, that's big news. Uh, the kid was dunking and was like killing people. Uh, and like, uh, like I thought he was senior in high school. Uh, I didn't know he was nine, uh, ninth grade or genetics um, undefeated. Well, it's uh, <laughs> I was going to say, man, like um, at the end of the day, there's and we have, uh, you know, within the power athlete model. And this was just from not only my own observations, but some really sharp coaches we we've talked to. Uh, the greatest predictor of athletic success comes down to three things. It's genetics, geography, and opportunity. Absolutely. So, like, if your dad's LeBron, right, okay, you got the genetics, the opportunity, you're going to play hoops, And just the, you know, geography, he's arounded the game. And like all of his dad's players are like, I mean, friends are like the best players. You just kind of grow up assuming this is what everybody does. And the kid gets out there and he's like, well, this is just what we do. And we were talking about Christian McCaffrey this morning. Genetics, geography, opportunity. Work with Landau for your
2: lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. And and your dad's Ed McCaffrey. Yeah. And like, it's, it's,
3: yeah. And the mom was also a a sprinter, I believe. Yeah. Because I remember a quote from Ed a, a long time ago, before the Kids were even going. he said one of our goals
1: was to, to, to breed fast white guys. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I. I yeah. It's. Uh, no. There. I mean. I, I. Like. I really think if um, you give somebody you know pretty good you know genetics and you give them the opportunity to do something. S- soccer at Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it. Uh, there's definitely some truth to all this. Yeah. And the McCaffrey dude. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I, I thought he had a chance to win the Heisman. He did pretty well. So, no, nah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's a, an interesting observation, too, that now that I'm, I'm, I don't count myself as old, but I am old in terms of football players, uh, we'll turn on football and I'll see a name and I'll be like, I played with his dad. Because I, I, know, I know his dad's still not playing. Right, right, right. You know, <laughs> and it's pretty funny to see How many kids, like, uh, you know, John Runyon's little boy. John Daniel is not little anymore. He's, uh, I think, a senior at Michigan. And, uh, you know, just the amount of kids whose dads I played with, and I remember them as little boys and, you know, coming in and seeing them and they're around it, and then all of a sudden they get a chance. Right, right, And I think it's just, you know, usually the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and then it becomes something that's, you know, it just becomes something that they do. Sure. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's what I tell... Our
3: assistant coaches, you know, who do all the recruiting all the time, you know, I say, Man, genetics is undefeated. Yeah. We had a, we had a player this year um, by the name of Jackson Hayes. He was just the eighth pick in the, in the draft. Well, he was not a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. He played six minutes a game as a junior in high school at, at Moeller High School in Cincinnati. Well, you probably know his dad. His dad's Jonathan Hayes, longtime NFL tight end. Yeah. Um, yeah. His mom was the Missouri Valley player there in basketball at Drake. Mm. She's over six feet tall. Dad still still holds about 280 really well. Yeah. Okay. And Jackson came to us at about six foot 10 and a half. Oh uh, and managed to grow an inch during his 10 months there, and he's one of the kids that before he got oh, there. did
1: he come out after one year?
3: No. Yeah. And, and there's the thing. Before he got there, we were talking about redshirting him. because he was so late to develop just a late bloomer Mm -hmm. you know shot shot up six seven inches while in high school played six minutes a game as a junior you know and so he gets there and we're allowed to have practice in the summertime which is a whole other thing we're not going to go into and so during these practices though this skinny kid's out there running around and he just keeps getting his hands on, on passes and he keeps making these unbelievable catches and you're like, guys, like his dad's an NFL tight end. Oh, it is. You know, <laughs> he's, he's, he makes these ridiculous catches. And you're like, he's gonna play. And well, not only did he play, he, he was he was really good. Wow. Um and so now, you know, ten months ago he couldn't do a bodyweight squat. Wow. You know, like his first attempt at that was the one of the one of the worst ones you're ever going to see. And, and, you know, by the end of the summer, he's trap bar deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds because he's a genetic freak, you know, not because of anything I did, because he came in and he trained consistently and he ate consistently, you know, because we made gaining weight a priority for him because you're not going to play very well in the big 12 at 199 pounds and six foot 11, you know, so he puts on 20 pounds in the summertime, Um, has a great year, number eight pick in the draft. And uh, where'd he go? He's uh with the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Good timing. If you want to uh, if you you want to YouTube it, he had the dunk of the summer at the summer league. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, but his athleticism is off the charts. But that's what the league is wants, you know, they want
1: that that they want the freaks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, NFL, same thing. I mean, um, I was laughing when I saw I was joking with uh, Michael Strahan, I saw him on Saturday. And uh, I told him, I'm like, man, um, whenever you guys get on uh, TV, it's always like, like, what's the recipe for success? What do people have to do? And uh, I'm like, can we just finally just give up the fact that like you guys are always like, oh, they have to establish the run. Yeah. And I'm like, man, they haven't I'm like an NFL team hasn't gone and established a run in like 10 years. Right, right, right. I'm like, like you but you guys keep saying like, hey, you know, the defense needs to play good, the offense has to establish the run to open up the passing game, and then all they do is they come out and they chuck the ball 65 times a game. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like it's uh it's um Something else, isn't it? And I was like, man, it's uh, it's just because that's what people want to see. I mean, even though, you know, running the ball and controlling the uh, the clock and doing all that is what really just wins a game of football. You know, the only person, and he was funny, He's like, the only person that really does that is Belichick. Yeah, well, that ugly football won the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, well, the, well, that's what's funny. That's but the worst Super Bowl ever. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he, he's like, Belichick's the only guy that's going to come out. And he's like, it's because Brady's release is so crazy that, like, it just – it, it was it was it was funny to uh, it was fun to talk um, to talk football and to talk you know because I played against Stray for years I mean not only in NFC East but also I played against him when I was at the Chiefs and uh, it was good to see him and like see his success but it was funny um, hearing him being like. Yeah, the uh, uh, he's like it's the stuff we got to say, and now it's um, yeah. But as soon as we come out, we're like, ah, oh, they need to establish a run and come <laughs> in. They paid this running back all this money, and then they come out and they just dump the ball. I mean, and then I saw Tony Richardson, who was our fullback, yep. and uh, T. Rich is like, man, they don't even have fullbacks anymore. I'm like, That's right. I'm like, you, uh, you're like a white buffalo, man. The fact that you played as long as he did for as a fullback, they don't even have that job anymore. That's so. absolutely right. It's uh, it, uh, you want to see this dump? Yeah, let's see. It. I said, this is stupid.
2: Oh, my my God. God. Look how skinny he is. How tall is he? He's
3: 6'11", 7 feet now. Wow. Man, I (laughs) grew... Just a baby, he's 20.
1: I grew two inches in college. So I I came to college at 6'4", and left it just under hair, under 6'6". And so I always think for like... Oh, wow, the knee to the chest. Um, (laughs) This is awesome. I I think for a lot of these kids... YouTube, Jackson uh,
2: Mays shows unreal bounce. Love it. I like this block.
1: Oh, God.
3: (laughs) So I just had him for ten months and got to train that freak show.
1: I mean, that—that's. Look at him trailing. Oh, he's got it. Bam. <laughs> they caught him. And then sits on the guy's face. Good for him. <laughs>
2: I've got a picture here of, of of last summer with him.
1: It's not a little like the uh, I mean I realize these kids are, you know, just using it as a stepping stone to get to the NBA, but like how do you really build a team when you go out and you draw and you bring in a kid, you develop him and 10 months later he leaves and you're like, "Man, we only got one, you know, one uh, Th- This what- is kind of what I want to get into because yeah. you have, you've had two opportunities, one at BCU where
2: I, I noticed you got some NBA guys, but at the same time, they developed. They've been there for a couple. Of-
3: that is, uh, that's the attractive part of this, and and you know this this Saturday I head back there. I started VCU on Monday.
1: Well, I'm, um, not to uh, derail you, but I was thinking on this, like with a kid like that, like he gets. I mean, he's the number eighth pick overall. So this is when he ran into a street sign last year. Just while we were out
3: running. Famously? We we were we were running, um, and he goes down, and I was like, oh, I just killed a kid, that's terrible." Um, but the the football mentality that comes from dad. Uh, I was the only one with him. one of my other freshmen was running along. It's like Gerald, go go get the trainer, go. And uh, all I had was my shirt. And I just took my shirt off to staunch the blood, and uh, he looks up at me through blood coming out. I was like. Coach, it's just a surface wound. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> so
1: at that point, I was like, okay, there's a little toughness to this but kid. If, but. if like, So so, um, I don't know how the NBA is. Um, I know when you get to the NFL, they're not developing anybody. Right. You either show up on day one and play or you can't. So I sometimes wonder for these kids, like, hey, you know, they have the opportunity to draft them. Is there, because they're so young, does the NBA realize, like, we have to develop them?
3: They, they have made that shift. A, a seismic shift in that over the past ten years, as the the one and done and the guy straight out has become more prevalent. Wow. Um, and so they've spent a lot of money um, on sports science, um, data collection, and and, and forward thinking individuals, and not only individuals but teams of people that they put in these positions. So not only strength and conditioning coach, but you know sports science, physical therapy all these different, different realms and, and putting a sport performance team together. And organizations are different. Some are better than others with it. Um, you know, the Magic, who we had the, the year before um, our big fella, uh, was drafted by at six overall. They hired uh, Dave Tenney, uh, Seattle Sounders, real big sports science background, um, to, to build a sport performance team. And so that's where they've gone because they are going to draft these kids that are 18 and 19 mm. years old. That's not changing. You know, they are going to draft those because they draft them on their potential. Mm. Well, then they have to protect their investment. Yeah. You know? And so protecting that investment means putting the right time in and the right development pieces in. so they almost treat some of these kids as having like a redshirt year mm. at the at professional the prof- level.
1: level. Man, Yo. so like... God bless them. I mean, in uh, NFL, which is my experience, is, uh, like, just such a meat grader. Like, you show up. I mean, I, I got drafted the second pick in the fourth round, mm-hmm. and I came in, and uh, they drafted, and they were like, yeah, you're starting. Right. And I was like, like, no business. I mean, I, you know, I came in and started ended up getting hurt, and then I was able to come back that next year, but, like the, uh, you know, like the age-old, like, hey, in the NFL, if you walk in and you're not pretty close to playing, like, you're not going to be around here right. very long. So I think it's uh, – but there's way more players. I mean, obviously, the salaries are way less. They invest way less. So it's just like, sure. you know, they can absorb a fucking bad draft pick. Whereas for these guys, there's so few guys on a team. there's I mean, it has to be – yeah, you know, And they probably look at it like, hey, if we can get him here to the NBA quicker, we have the opportunity to develop him within our system more than college right. our way. And so it almost you, makes sense. Have you
2: heard of the book, Boys Amongst Men? Oh, yeah. Love, Very love this book. So. Yeah. And one of the, the big takeaways that I I got from it, from the, at least the author's thesis, that having high school players enter the NBA and be the 12th man on the bench to develop based off potential, like a lot of them played, but they got rid of the the veteran the old salty guy that taught you how to be a pro yeah Mm -hmm. so his theory is it set the league back 10 years because it was 10 years of reckless you know 18 year old kids more or less and so i I thought that was just
1: fascinating that they they cut the old guy off the bench that well they've done that in the nfl i mean tony would even said it when he got up uh when he was a rookie He was, uh, when he came in, he was the youngest dude on their team, obviously, when he was a freshman or a rookie. Even in his third year at the Chiefs, he was still the youngest dude on the team. Right? Warren Moon was on that team. And, like, he was, like, talking about all this stuff. And then when he went to uh, Atlanta... Um, obviously he was in his 17th year. So he was like, what, like in, you know, his, uh, like late thirties. And he said that like the, the next youngest guy was like Will Savitek, who I played with, who was like 31 or 32. Mm-hmm. And I saw Will and Will uh, Savitek was like, uh, yeah, when I was at, at Atlanta, he's like, I, I like, I was so much older than dudes. And he goes, I had been the young guy when, like, Willie Rofe and, like, Will Shields and all these guys were in their 30s. And all everybody on the offensive line was in their 30s. And he goes, now all of a sudden, he goes, it was just a real changing in professional sports where, like, no longer do they want to invest in these older players. But, like, that's how you learn to play the game. And those are the guys that teach you how to be a pro. Mm-hmm. That's a big point
3: of emphasis that, you know, every year I get to talk to every NBA team. They're going to call, you know, about these kids that are coming out. And, and you know one of the things they, act, they they know how they can play, they know what their physical measurables are and all those kind of things. They want to know what kind of kid they are you know and they want to know what kind of trouble what's what's going to keep them <laughs> from succeeding yeah you know and and every year you know with I said it'd be great if there were some older guys around, you know that you know I, I don't feel great about this kid going to a team with a bunch of eighteen and nineteen 20 year olds yeah. you know and, and with that kind of money and yeah. that, and that kind fame. of opportunity. That kind of time. That's the biggest thing that, that we hear when these guys come back. It's like, God, I've got so much time because I'm not going to class. I'm not going to study hall. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to training table. All of a sudden, I have all this time. Yeah. You know, so, what you do with it. Idle is time.
1: Huge. What is it? Uh, idle time or idle hands make the devil's work? Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, Pelicans, they picked up J.J. Reddick. So he's 35. Mm-hmm.
2: And drop off next, next guy is Moore. He's 30. And then. You start to see all down right. twenty, twenty one, yeah, nineteen. They are
1: very young. <laughs> oh, didn't uh, did they trade like a? Wasn't Alonzo Ball went there? Isn't that hey, what? Ball's, the ball's there. is yeah. uh-huh. You know, um, I I know uh, his dad who, or I don't know his dad, but I have seen his dad who's a to me is a fucking moron. Um, you know, <laughs> I I would uh one as a professional athlete if my dad was being interviewed, even though I'm like, <sighs> I know those kids have grown up with that dad, but like. Let your kids shine. Like right. when, when people are making decisions for your kids athletically for their professional life based off of shit that you say as a father, I'm like, oh, my God. And uh, he like uh, I'm just well, like, this I'm, I'm so mortified. a reality TV. Star, oh, I'm, I'm mortified by that, dude. <laughs> uh, but long story short, um, probably best thing ever happened to that kid. Was to get transferred out and then mm-hmm. be able to go and be able to make his own way and be able to figure out his own stuff without in a small market in a small market yep. and yep. you know where they're not going to stick a microphone in this dumbass dad's mouth and i, right. I really wish and at some point those kids would be like dad enough 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 just yeah. uh, and and he'll he and the, the dad won't understand it where the kids don't call him anymore don't invite him anymore because they're like you can only screw up my career so much when i'm a little kid like it's fine they don't know any better but it's and i was always thinking like especially in the the locker room like older dudes like I look like at LeBron it'd be like you serious with your dad can you imagine LeBron in that locker room with that kid that'd be uh, no wonder I mean get rid of him like right. there's no way and it sucks cuz that kid is probably going to be a big star he's a good player parent, but, the, but but parents, that's that's but can, that's the overbearing parent which yeah, i'm sure we can you get see too too well i mean because the parents view these kids as like investments now sure. and that they've gone oh. this and this instead of just being like like my dad who was just stoked to wear a hat and, you know, sit on the sideline and cheer and, you know, be a fan.
3: That, that to me, that, that's what it's all about. And that's these, these parents that I run into here that are spending all of this money, you know, on all of these different training, whether it's devices or, or people and things like that is, and they're chasing this mythical college scholarship. And some of them are spending more money, then the
1: scholarship's going to be worth down the road. Well, well you know? I mean, you made the good point, obviously, that uh, uh, geog- or, uh, genetics is never lost. Right. So, I mean, I have people have asked me for years and being like, hey, you know, what do you think my kids' chances are of this? And I'm like... Unless you got some like uncle, is there like a six foot five, six foot six uncle that used to like, you know, chop wood with one hand and like could palm a medicine ball and throw right, it like, right, uh, right. you got anybody like that hiding in their gen, in your genetic tree? And they're always like, no. And I'm like, ah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I mean, my, uh, my older brothers, uh, were all about the same size. My other brother, my middle brother's a little shorter. My older brother's a little taller. Like, and, uh, you know, I'm named after one of my dad's uncles who was like six ten, and like they used to tell stories of. And so it's pretty interesting. Like, if, uh, and I always ask guys about it, they're like, oh, what about NFL? I'm like, you got any like uncles or family or anybody that they used to like tell legends about? And they're like, what do you mean? And I tell them, and they're like, no. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, is your mom six foot five? Like, 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 give me something, you know? People are so confused, too. Uh, uh, my son here
3: plays baseball, you know, in Austin, Texas. It's very popular. Well, in, in, Division one baseball, the highest level of college baseball, across the board there are eleven point seven scholarships for wow. every team. That's it. That's all. Eleven point seven. How many guys on the squad? Thirty five. So Twenty five to thirty five, depending so, on how many
1: you carry. So, so like probably like four or five guys get full scholarships, and then they give everybody and quarters. And then they divide them up. Yeah. Right. And that's
3: how. We're, and they, there's you know financial aid that helps out. And there's there's way, but at the same time, eleven point seven full scholarships for 350 Division One universities. Wow. There are thousands and thousands of kids out there, you know, playing baseball and their parents are feeding them. The, no, 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 man, that, that's not realistic, okay? What's realistic for, for, for my kids and, and for a lot of these kids is to have an enjoyable experience yeah. playing high school athletics, you know? Have an enjoyable experience. And whatever that leads to down the road, great, you yeah. know? Being on a team... You know, that, that, that's a huge deal, you know, Und- understanding those dynamics and things like that.
1: Well, I think football has the most. I mean, what does football uh, have, 75? 85. 85 scholarships. Yeah, holy smokes. And so, yeah, every one division school, every one, every division one school has 85 scholarships, mm-hmm. and then you have division two. I mean, so just in terms of numbers, like, you know, just probably football's a right. better chance to play. Right. But unfortunately, that's a, you know, it's a tough way to make a living. So Exactly, yeah. Yep, and th- those numbers,
3: you know, in the, you see it in the youth football are down, you know, due to the
1: the issues that go along with that, and the, uh, the growth of uh, growth man. of lacrosse and things uh, like well, that. Yeah. I uh, I tell dude, I uh, whenever people ask me about it, like, oh, what do you think you let your son play? I'm like, of course. I'm like the the greatest things that I learned in life. I learned on the football field about how to work with people and teams right. and this and opportunity. And like, you know, like um, I don't think that like it's I don't know. I mean, it's uh, my wife and I were arguing about this yesterday and that like if you start making decisions on what potentially could happen, then I think we I mean, uh, where we're seeing it right now. I mean, there was, you know, as you obviously are plugged in as a parent, like we are these like awful mass shooting deals. Yep. And like I saw the whole thing Trump came out with with a red flag laws, which is the idea that like we need to have laws in place where, you know, we can identify these people early. And while I agree something needs to be done in this country, we have due process. And so now we're going to, you know, potentially arrest somebody or do something based off of what they potentially might do. like. It, like this minority is, report. Yeah, well, but this is what my wife and I like were discussing last night. It's like you have this like common sense parental thing of being like we should be able to identify bad people and be able to do something before they hurt people, so we can get this. But then on top, like I have like you know had read John Locke and all these uh, you know framers of the Constitution and understand due process and come from a family of attorneys of being like you can't charge somebody with a crime before they commit it. Like, like, it's really hard, like behaviorally to say, hey, you know, like somebody makes a call and says, hey, um, you know, I think this person's dangerous. And the police come over and arrest the person, right. and take all their stuff like that. That's not how our constitution and our world yeah, works. It but is. like it, it, it So it's like this this constant deal where, you know, so now you're in a situation where these parents are like, oh, you know, I don't want my child to be hurt. And I'm like, well. So you're going to put them in bubble wrap and protect them, and and not give them the the skills to do this. You're going right. to keep them. You're going to save them from something that might never potentially happen and rob them of the opportunity. Um, why not just uh, invest in a really good strength and conditioning program that you know develops the strength the musculature, the stability, and all the other key factors that allow them to mitigate this stuff? And you know I'm sitting there watching you know Tony Gonzalez get up there and you know 17 years talk about you know where he came from, the trials and tribulations, and I'm like. Um, Do you think if his mom had said you can't play football, like like you guys? I mean, and I know he's a one one in a trillion type of person, but why would you ever rob your child of that opportunity? He could be that person. I would much rather put him in an opportunity where to be a could than to protect him from like what could have happened on the Mm -hmm. other side. And it's uh on a
3: on a a personal level, I I am a huge proponent
1: uh, of youth football
3: and for what it does. And this this guy here beside me has played tackle football since what seven, right? Um, And to the people who who, and even friends of mine who question, you know, that, which is this day, the the first thing I say is, please go watch a game when they're seven and eight. They're not moving fast enough. (laughs) Yeah, they're not moving fast enough with the equipment. They're they're not not big big enough. enough. You know, just go watch it. You're not you you automatically think what you watch on television on Saturdays and Sundays Mm -hmm. is what's happening out there. And it's not the second thing. And the most important thing that I think comes from this is even at the age of seven and eight I watched it with the, with those kids. Football is the only true team sport at that age where those kids have to understand yeah. that they need to rely on those other kids. Mm-hmm. Baseball and basketball and other sports they're still individual sports yeah. even at this age now yeah. you know they're still
1: individual sports oh yeah, just watch NBA they just right. come down and uh, you know right. the the Steph Curry where he just comes down and just shoots the ball It's unbelievable. Football. That I mean, he, he
3: understands what his linemen are doing. Right. You know, he understands that he needs those guys. You know, mm-hmm. and it's unbelievable to see them come together. You know, even at age seven, eight, nine, ten, like that, that you don't see in other sports. I I, I just that, that's the kind of stuff. It just, just gives me chill bumps thinking about it. Well, I, I, I got into that.
2: an argument <laughs> at a friend's wedding because they they put me at a table with old high school buddies' old high school buddy's wedding, and my argument was football is the ultimate team sport. And somebody across the table was saying soccer was. And so my argument is you can get a red card and play a man down. And football, if you have one person missing, yeah. everything falls apart. Right. So we, like the the wedding couple was walking around like doing their hellos. At least I thought they were. Both of them were asked to come and just tell us to, to calm down. So it escalated quickly. A passionate soccer person and an understanding of team sports.
1: Ah, uh, you know, um... <laughs> I was thinking about this um, while uh, the problem is, is that girls don't really get the opportunity. I mean, they do get the opportunity to play football, but not like, I mean, so girls will go out, and I'm sure that they want to play you stuff, but for the most part, like, what's that team sport for girls? And I would, I, I would venture to say, like uh, softball, volleyball, or you could, you could argue volleyball for sure because, yeah, uh, if watching high level and just
2: through Raph's wife and seeing the the nuances of the game and learning them. Yep. It, it, just watching and then having like a intelligent person who knows the sport kind of guide and, and lead through what's going on there's a level of communication, play connection
1: and movement together that I was completely unaware yeah. of years before uh, pretty funny, My I have twin little girls that are seven and when we did the indoor soccer and they were playing um, they ended up arguing with each other, it was pretty funny, they would like start fighting and arguing with each other and yelling at each other during like uh, so it was pretty funny to watch and then like some other girl like you know, like, kind of, like, who, who's probably had older sisters, so she, like, was pretty aggressive and, like, kind of, like, forearmed her, and, like, my one daughter, and she gets up and is running, and my other daughter sees it, and she had been, like, arguing with my other sister, or her sister earlier, and then all of a sudden just goes up and beelines and tries to take that girl out, like... <laughs> Protection mode. <like, "Well, laughs> it, it's, like, uh, it's my job to mess with her. Nobody else gets to mess with Like, she was, like, more mad. She's, like, it's my job to yell at her. Like, nobody, like, it just is, uh it's, it's funny, and, like, I I, I, dude, I would... um one, I would never uh, rob the kids of anything. Like, but here's the deal: like, my little boy doesn't want to play; He doesn't want to play. Right. Uh, you know, so you want to put him in stuff. But I think, like, as parents, if somebody shows the desire to do something, you have to fan the flame, opposed from like dragging them there, which absolutely. I've seen. You know, these parents like berating these like you know young kids, and you're like, dude, like, chill out. Like, absolutely, you know, I, I'm a big
3: proponent of of these kids experiencing as many different sports as possible. And when he was young we we put him on a soccer team one time just for the experience of it the soccer coach was more interested in taking pictures with his new iphone than he was actually coaching so they were terrible you remember that you remember that no fun doesn't like soccer yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> so, and it, the, at that age you know coaching is such a big deal with these yeah. kids you know it's, they, they do have such an impact you
2: know yeah, yeah one of our buddies dave span coaches his youth his son's soccer team and one thing he's told the parents, he's not too concerned about skills and drills and all that, but wherever we go, we're going to sprint as fast as we can. So practice, he was always just coaching speed. Get there, get there. And when they stepped on, they created more opportunities. They were that's the most
1: intense team out there. Awesome. But
2: that's all they knew was that's run fast. Awesome.
1: Creating more opportunities. <laughs>
2: that's terrific.
1: It's good. No, I, um, I think it's, uh, it, it's just super interesting to see this basketball deal, man. Like I... Uh, It's exciting to watch, but it it doesn't feel like, um, I don't know, like I just remember growing up watching basketball and what I saw. And and I know the world progresses and changes, but the game of basketball has progressed so much from like, you know, these guys that were just these, um, you know, like the like the technical heroes of the basketball league into things where it's like every every opportunity for a highlight now. Yeah. Oh, it's And it's, I wonder if that's like the social media aspect or YouTube or this. And it's like, you know, you pulled up that thing where it shows the guy dunking and I'm, I mean, we probably, it was just, you know, clips of the game where like everybody has some like, Oh yeah. moment. And it's, it's just what it's kind of evolved into. Well, well, YouTube and sports center, I guess that, and it's,
3: it's really evolved into a positionless sport as well. You know, when you see these guys and these guys that are drafted, you know, they're, Six foot eleven, they have a seven foot six wingspan, yet they're athletic and mobile enough to sit down and and guard and stay in front of a six foot four guy. You know? And so that's the the evolution of the game from that technical of a back to the basket center, you know, that's seven foot tall with terrific footwork and post moves to now. They just need a seven foot guy that can run and roll to the rim and rebound.
1: Yeah. You know, so it's like hey, like we got a center and everybody else is kind of like a guard forward power like it yeah, was no yeah, longer yeah. like, hey, you got a guard, but now we got a power forward who's, yep. you know, yep. kind of a big strong dude right. like the you know, the proverbial Charles Barkley power sure. forward, like right. these prototypical Prototype. dudes. Like they were saying this year, do
3: you remember there's a guy that there was Played for UCF this year, Central Florida. He's oh, seven yeah. foot. I know exactly seven, what you talk about.
2: Yeah, he's uh, from Africa. Taco Fall. Yeah,
3: a- and you know, twenty years ago, he's probably a draft pick. Uh-huh. But due to the nature of the game now, there's just not a place for a guy like that that can't run and keep up with mm. you know the seven foot gazelle that can run sure. up and down the court. And sure. They no. almost
1: beat Duke in the
3: they did NCAA they tournament. Right. They should
1: have. Yeah, right. Well, the uh, I remember years ago when I was in Philly, we used to hang out. We used to see Barkley out a lot, and I used to always talk shit to him, and uh, he he always like you know because he played football, and I always asked him like, man, why would you bitch out? And he's like, let me tell you, he's like as a football player, if you go out and play uh, a sport with a bunch of basketball players, he's like you wouldn't want to leave either. He's (laughs) like these guy, he's like man, he's like I'm out there pushing dudes around. He's He's like big guy. (laughs) Oh, he's super and huge ass, great golf, uh, fun dude. We used to ride like he we saw him out numerous times and he always liked to have a good time. Yeah, um, really. I mean, anywhere Charles goes, he's having a good time. But uh, his he used to always joke. He's like, man, he goes, if you know, like coming off of the football field, if you got to go play a sport where nobody really wanted to touch you and you could be as physical as you want and intimidate the shit out of people. He's like, it was like an easy day at the office
2: through through mike hill i just had a moment to to meet and speak with patrick ewing and just talking about the game and he said that the things that change is more kind of grab and dunk versus the finesse of the big man that he had like mm. in his generation right. of game so that commitment to the moment the skill and mastering your craft mm-hmm. it's now shifted gears
1: towards more athleticism yep. mm. Absolutely. Well, it's it what people want to see. People want I mean, it's, it, it's the, it's the spectator. It's, um, I mean, football, same thing. That's why we don't run the ball anymore. They right. just want to chuck the ball and they want to, every, everybody wants to catch uh you know, some amazing catch and watch this. And that's just, just how it works, man. Like, it's just. All these kids want to catch the ball one handed because of Odebo Beckham. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's what they want to do, don't
1: you? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this, um, uh, I have, uh, I'm kind of excited for this NFL season because, one, I'm excited to see what happens with Baker Mayfield. Oh, uh, did uh, you see cl- that clip of him? Oh, <laughs> uh, shotgun, uh, shotgun in the beer. beer. <laughs> well, <laughs> him with the mustache, and he's got uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and like the... Uh, Jarvis Landry, yep, yeah. who they were teammates at LSU together. Oh, uh, they're, they're putting a potential um, fucking powder keg together in not a good way. Oh, it's going to be exciting! Uh, I is. don't know, like it's 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 going to blow. I don't know if it's going to be uh, implosion or explosion. Like they're either going to come in and fucking ring the bell. I mean, cause they, I, I'd forgotten about uh, Baker Mayfield, all that shit when he was was it at Oklahoma uh, when you um, know he's grabbing his crotch and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like like giving people like he's a pretty feisty dude. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you put him in you know the NFL, he's rolling in with like a dude, he's he's got a phenomenal story. So Lake Travis
2: quarterback, walk on to Texas Tech, started as a freshman. Big 12 freshman of the year. And then I forget how he lost his job. So even though he was winning, nec- another quarterback came in or back from injury. He probably uh, so partied he trans- his way out of a job. <laughs> ah, it is Lubbock. Yeah. So then he transfers to OU. So he had to earn his scholarship there. So right. he walked on to OU and then walks away with the Heisman and the number one pick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to oh, no. party with that guy. Oh, yeah. No, he, he looks like a good dude. Uh, But like just seeing that whole thing go down, especially bringing in, you know, I mean, Obel. Beckham Jr. is a good player, but, uh, you know, I think he's, you know... Combustible. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, he just you know especially in a place like Cleveland which is historically fucking awful right right so it's just ah it's going to be good i'm i'm uh, i'm interested to see how that whole thing progresses and i you know and they're they're big personalities and dudes oh, with a lot of ego it's going to be exciting and, no uh, way around if exist. they don't have success early uh usually those cats turn on each other That's and right. then they start pointing fingers and things go downhill Correct. and they you know locker rooms get divided Correct. so i'm hoping for those guys to have some success early sure. so it doesn't turn into like yeah. <laughs> like rats eating their young you know oh <laughs> uh, it's gonna be good yeah. it's gonna be good i mean because i you know we were just in cleveland which is where i flew to go to canton and like seeing all this stuff with the browns i was like oh man my, my brother and i were uh we you know clicked on we were watching some tv before we went out and uh seeing this whole thing down He's like, what do you think i'm like this is gonna get dangerous mm-hmm. this is gonna be good speaking ahead what are you expecting this season and taking on this new gig or what was the
2: motivation behind it uh that's that's terrific um motivation behind
3: it is there's many things behind it sometimes you know when in recruiting with with athletes we talk about fit you know um culture fit culture Culture fit fit. right and and at vcu where i spent six years um there is a certain fit to to my style of training and the style of kids that we get and by that i mean you know we're not going to get the five star one and done kids we're gonna get kids that that maybe have three stars and and have a little chip on their shoulder. Um, and the other thing is I, I'm a long-term athletic development guy. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in putting kids in a microwave. And when you have a kid for 10 months, that's, that's kind of what you do in a way. Even though I want to set them up for, for future success in life and, and in athletics, uh, at the same time I know I'm not going to see anything close to the best of them when I have them you know, due to that, yeah. the nature of how I train guys. And I, I refuse to put kids in a microwave. I'm not going to do that for for the benefit of of having them look good in a before and after picture or something like that it just doesn't doesn't do anything for me you know so so the fit at VCU I'm a big college basketball fan I grew up in central north carolina as we talked about earlier that that was what we knew you know that's there there was no pro sports at the time there you know it was all about north carolina and duke and nc state and wake forest and 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 so I grew up a college basketball fan and um VCU is really a sweet spot of college basketball, and I, and I say that in that we're going to get kids who come there to stay, you know, and and play for three or four years, mm-hmm. and we're going to develop them, um, and I'm going to have a chance to really develop them, which is what I enjoy doing, um, and it's a high enough level where they're not going to transfer out after a year because they average 11 points a game as a freshman, which is what now happens at the low major level due to It's almost a free agent like thing with the the freedom of these guys to transfer. So, you know, if you're at at a a smaller college, um, you know, what what you would consider a low major, um, then those kids come in as freshmen, they have a good year, and they think, "I'm better than this. I'm going to transfer up." Just like the kids that we get that leave for the NBA, you Mm -hmm. know, after a year. So, I'm going to what I think, what I feel is the sweet spot of college basketball. Um, right there where we have a chance every year to go to the NCAA tournament to make noise in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I was there in 2011 when Mm -hmm. we went to the Final Four, um, and we had a group of kids that were supremely competitive, and they were old. And that's how you win in college basketball is get old. You know, (laughs) we we look at these kids every year. that get drafted, and they ain't winning big games. The kids who win big games, like, Virginia that won the title last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. They did it with old guy, old kids, old guards. That, that's who wins, you know, because college basketball is a different game from sure. that
1: game they're getting drafted to. I, you I, know? I, I, I'll tell you this. I'd rather watch college basketball than pro basketball. Right. I mean, it just to me, it's uh, more – that's why uh, – but the, the opposite is true for football. I can't watch college football. Right. They look like they're running in quicksand. Like, I hate it. It uh, The game is so slow that, like, I, I kind of, like, uh, I, I get bored. Like, right. I can't stand watching it. Like, i got people falling down. It looks like a bunch of drunks. Mm-hmm. But, like, college basketball to me, um, especially like the NCAA, the Final Four, yep. all that stuff, oh, so... Like it, it just is good basketball. Exactly. Like yeah. it just looks like it's technical. You see people like actually, you know, you know, guys are coming down the down the court, actually calling plays. You see them put up their fingers, yep. And they'll actually like set things right, up, right, and right. you know, I'm like, wow, a pick and roll. Yeah. I haven't seen that in the NBA in like, like 20 years. What, Where they outlaw the pick and roll? <laughs> like, like you just don't see. Uh, those guys just come down and they're just exactly. like shoot the ball, and then it's like if they if they sink it, everybody turns around and goes back. If they if there's there, there's a rebound, and then they just kind of try to put it back in. Yeah. Whereas in the college stuff, man, these guys are like. And there's also a sense of urgency where a lot of these guys might not go play in the NBA, so they're looking at this as like this is their crowning achievement, sure. this is their biggest stage to play on, and you can tell that the sense of urgency is there. And to me, it's just it's way more enjoyable, you know. And it's funny these kids that that we have playing professionally
3: now they, they come back, and, and you know, not only do they sometimes say they they miss you know some of the resources they had you know that were free to them in college that now they pay for, but also they say, man, that was the most fun I ever had playing basketball uh-huh. it was because it becomes a job. It really does. Yeah. You know, it's a job, and you have to be a professional. And if you're not, guess what? You're not going to be there very long. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end. I mean, and so they, they come back, and it, you, you can't, like, put
1: that in the guys there. You can tell them that. You know, they don't understand no. you know, until a little bit later. So no, we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, you know, sad part is youth is lost on the youth. Right. You know, like they, you know, I mean, it's just very few people have the ability to see what's happening around them at that moment and kind of live in that moment. Cause there's always this idea, well, I'm here now, but I'm going there. So yeah. you're always focused on what's in front of you. Instead of looking around being like, this isn't that bad, you know?
3: Oh, if they only knew, if yeah. they only knew. It's yeah. But Wendy we we talk about all the time.
2: Every once in a while, there's a kid that picks up and appreciates it. Um, uh, just a di- I interned at UT and there were some guys that had old, older brothers that played at UT and it was amazing to see athletically gifted guys that were they're going to the league, but they believed every rep in college in the weight room, the sprints, everything was going to take them to a national championship mm-hmm. so that, that level of athlete does exist at the college level and it's, it is an amazing thing to watch. I imagine those are the juniors yeah, but think and seniors about how many BCU.
1: but think about how many feel like I was thinking on this like in the NFL right you got thirty two teams. So, like, what's there, fifty guys on a team? Fifteen hundred guys. Yep. Yeah, there's like, call it fifteen hundred. It's a little bit more. Um, then look at college football. So there's seventy five, eighty dudes on a team, and Probably there's one hundred and fifty with all the the walk ons allowed. Well, okay, so there's yeah. like eighty five scholarships, but call it like ninety, ninety some people. And then you have what one hundred and one or one hundred and ten uh, Division one teams. Yep. So it, I think it's one hundred and one. Call I know it's more than a hundred. So now you're looking at like. 8,000, you know, 8,000 guys. So, like, the amount of guys that I had met... Like, I played with a lot of dudes that had won... 130. D1. Okay, so I played with a lot of dudes that had won Super Bowls. I mean, we won a lot of playoff games. The amount of dudes that I knew that had won a college national championship, I can't think of one. Right. Like, it just and I And I remember seeing a couple guys roll in with like some some nice bowl rings, but I, I don't ever remember, and i 'm sure like if I went through, I mean, I had to have played with somebody yeah, that did it, yeah. like just by numbers, but like I just don't remember it being something. Like, I just remember when, when I was at the Patriots, I remember we went on a road game, like dudes had all their rings on and I was just like, fuck all of you. (laughs) Like, like the only reason dudes go to the Patriots is because they want to try to get a ring. Uh, Damn. And I got hurt. Um, But that idea of like a college uh, national championship to me was like, I I just don't ever remember. And I I think that would be something that would be so cool to be a part of as well, you know? Yeah, because you have a guy like Tom Brady who was, like, what, a backup at Michigan and, like, did some play and then all of a sudden goes on. And he's still bitter about his college career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, he's still posting stuff up. Like, yep. he posted up his draft card the other day, and I'm right. like, you can, you know, I know you're still looking for motivation and you're looking for the chip, but, like, it's okay. Like, you know, you're the best to ever play the game. You got six rings. You're married to a supermodel. Like, you're getting paid $23 million. Like, I don't know what you have to be mad about. I did see an
2: infographic that split his career into pre-ACL injury and post ACL injury and their argument was he had two Hall of Fame careers because it's just three Super Bowls like two MVPs each mm-hmm. so like the split is is pretty much even yeah but he had more stats more numbers and more touchdown passes on the because I guess he played more on the backside of the injury but arguably two, two Hall of Fame careers yeah because this wow. is what year uh, 20
1: 19. Yeah, 19 19 20, 20, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he would have come in the year after me, so he was two thousand. Yeah. But that's that late bloomer, the developed mm-hmm. athlete, right? But he also gets a chance to like get into like the perfect situation. He ends up with a guy like Belichick. I mm-hmm. mean, he he hit that perfect storm. I mean, who like who's to say that if he went to Cleveland or that Cincinnati, man. he would have never heard of him? I mean, like I always felt terrible for my buddies or guys that I I was like, oh, you played in Cincinnati? That's so or Cleveland? Oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Like it's just like uh, it's like dudes that go to Miami. I'm always like ah, <laughs> like uh um who was it uh, uh I can't I'm, I'm just thinking of um one of the guys of the Hall of Fame was talking about like you know um the best guy Marino who, no What's no no uh um Zach Thomas oh yeah who's not in the Texas Hall of Fame Tech. yeah he's so not in the Hall of Fame he's on the Hall of Fame. So I'm just thinking about oh um, I know who it was it was Kevin Mua was getting up there and as he was going through his deal he talked about the guy who he played against who he was one he's not amazes in the Hall of Fame but always had to make sure like he was the best was uh, Zach Thomas and I was just kind of laughing because I think Jason Taylor's in the Hall of Fame yep um, I'm pretty sure I he is here yeah uh, but Zach Thomas isn't and I was like well he played in Miami and you know unless you played on the 72 Dolphins you're probably not getting the Hall of Fame out of Miami right listed you know? at. Five eleven. Tampa, we, Texas. And I that have was no idea where that is. That was generous. But I'll tell you, he was good. I mean, he was oh, fast. Yeah. He 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 he, dude, he he could fill a gap and move and run its base and do some really amazing things. He was he was a tough guy to play against. I I haven't read it yet, but David Epstein, former author of Sports
2: Illustrated and Sports Gene, has mm-hmm. a new book called Range, subtitled Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. <laughs> So they taught he. I've heard people discuss him talk about late bloomers in there, but mm-hmm. I haven't. I haven't read it yet, so it's on my list. I always I,
3: I, uh, I listened to a podcast he did. It, it was leading into it. I think he was still working on it at the time, but I, I just thought it was great because uh, he talked about the uh, Malcolm Gladwell and the outliers and the, the sure. ten thousand hours to mastery. Uh, you know, which you know everyone's read and stuff, and and he's on the opposite end of that with the generalist. You know, and the
1: well, we Lack had um, Anders Ericsson on, who right. he, that uh, the guy uh, Gladwell got all of his research from, and it was interesting hearing Anders take that he misinterpreted his research. Yes, that oh, the he, ten thousand hour bad. deal. Yeah, uh, he, he went into that. Yeah, you
3: know, on the on the podcast, but he also said that you know somewhere I think Harvard had them up as it in a debate style setting, um, and awesome. they they kind of wanted them to to go at each other, but. They respected each other so much that yeah. they couldn't, you know. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was interesting. He's like, they really wanted all this fire and things like this. And he said, now nah, we kind of both agree with some of the points we both make,
1: you know. And I, I just thought that was interesting too. Well, the Honors um, Ericsson was really fascinating on our podcast in that he uh, talked about like the idea of like this deep connection and practice, uh, like the meaningful connection to mastery. And like it just isn't this, uh, you know, kind of like I guess you could say like volume dumping of just like, well, if I, you know, dump 10,000 pounds of of rock over here, I'll be successful. It's like the placing and the picking and the selecting of each piece to get to it. And they, you know, and uh, I think he thought that uh, Gladwell's work actually did more damage than it did good. Uh, cause it just gave people like, Hey, we just got to give them, you know, but we've always said, man, like the uh, opportunities by far the greatest impact, you oh, know, yeah. if you can give somebody the opportunity to do something, um, in our but uh, in our culture, I think people look for this idea of like just aptitude, like um, you know we see it all the time. Like, hey, the kid goes in day one, and you know if he can shoot a basketball, like if he shoots a basketball, oh, he's he's meant to do this. Right, 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 you know, right. keep putting a pose from the kid who doesn't shoot it well. Well, he's not as gifted. Oh, it, and, same and, with speed. Yeah, and uh, that's, why that, are
3: you not it good? It goes at, into that. I'm real big on, on intent with everything yeah. we do. Intent. I mean, with with speed, obviously, there's you have to have great intent. You know, with all that, but but with anything. With anything like you just, you can't just dump time into something and yeah. dump meaningless. You know, sometimes we we, we um, mistake activity for achievement.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, like just oh, let's just do the all- How favorite, much can we do? That's my we, favorite. We Lutical. see that all the time. More and, uh, is
3: always better. You uh, know? we see no. that in the
1: workplace, and and people do this with speed. And and I've I've told this story before, but uh, I used to be kind of like when I was a kid, I was his age, I was like decently fast, and then all of a sudden I grew mm-hmm. a whole bunch, and like I wasn't fast. <laughs> Like it was, and it was upsetting to me. And I remember telling my mom and I was like, mom, like, you know, I mean, I can just imagine like coming home and my mom being like, this kid's crazy. Being like, mom, I used to be fast. And I remember in, in school, we had to do a time run every week. Mm-hmm. And based off of your time is what your grade was. And I went from like getting an A's on all the runs to getting like C's and D's. And I was so mortified that uh, I was going to go home with a C and PE that I asked my teacher and she let me run extra after school, do some makeup runs to like add more points so I could sure. get an A. And, um, like now that I, th- I just figured like one, I didn't want to have to go home with a bad grade in PE cause that would have been just humiliating. Exactly. Uh, but now I've, I've come to the realization that that was kind of rare. Like most kids don't care like that. But like for me, that was mortifying. Like there was no yeah. way I was going home with me this too. grade. Heck, yeah. And then what's, and I couldn't figure it out. I remember talking to my teacher and my mom and my mom like talked to my dad and she's like, ah, you know what? Like maybe we can get him like somebody to teach him how to run. And my dad's like, I'm not paying for that. Right. So I was just slow. And then I remember after I played freshman football, I wanted to join the track team so I could, uh, because, you know, there were actually people were running and they were coaching them to run. And I was like, if I can do track, I can run. But they didn't need me to run. They were like, hey, if you throw the shot or do the discus. And I was like, I'll do it. But do I get to run with the track people? (laughs) And they said, yes. Yes. So, I actually would run, and that was how. And then, all of a sudden, I like within like a year of training, we were doing like hurdles and all the track stuff. All of a sudden, my speed came back, and I was one of the fastest right. dudes. And it was just like I got bigger, I got stronger, all these things came up. And if I'd understood like coordination, intermuscular coordination, and intra and like ray coding, and all these other things that I understand now, I right. knew exactly what happened. Sure. I grew too much, I was uncoordinated. I, need some, I needed things to basically wire up the coordination, lifting weights, right. like all these things that were happening to me we've seen within the progression of athleticism and people just kind of did like eh. and uh and then I was fast again and yeah. I remember thinking like fuck like why did this have to be so hard and um but in a way it was good because it kind of set a found uh, like a foundation for me of like if something's not working I'm going to figure out a exactly. way to make it instead exactly. of being like well we're just going to take you to your speed coach. Yes, exactly. Oh, you're not good at this, I'm going to do this. Like it just It's, um, and I was telling these guys when I think I was like 16 years old, I read some article. I went to the library and I checked out a book on speed, and they talked about downhill running. and But it had to be like two to three degrees, but I didn't really know what that was. So I drove around for like 30 minutes to an hour all over our town and all over the area looking for something that had a slight gradual downhill. And I finally found this, like, big open field that had a slight downhill. And I was out there running, and a bunch of my buddies drove by. and like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting faster. And they were like, you're an idiot. And they drove away. <laughs> and uh, I was run, trying to run downhill. It's and, amazing, like,
3: though. You were, you were ahead of your time there you know, with, with things like that. And I, I've had this I conversation. Just I, I just think yeah, I was right? a crazy person. Well, like, I, I have yeah. a lot of that, too, going on. And I have a lot of that with him. But even with my athletes, and, and I've had this conversation with other strength coaches, Uh, Before and you'll see some strength coaches who are real hands-on with their athletes and or or who are big cues and are cueing everything all the time and you know have seventy-five different cues and 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 are are guiding them through these movements. I mean, I'm a big self-organization guy. Mm -hmm. I I, I need them. I want them to figure out how their body moves and how it reacts to the ground and things like that and what feels good and what doesn't and things like that and. I'm still a huge believer that that in in the training of speed and speed development and things like that, the greatest form of that when you're
1: young and even when you're not, when you don't do it, is a hill. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, I've did. Uh, Jim Wendler told me ten years ago when I met him, uh, we were talking about something with with running, and he's like, "Have you ever seen anybody run poorly uphill?"
3: Exactly.
1: And I was like. I can't think I have until recently when I saw Aiden and TC running our interns, our interns and our young prove that. uh, (laughs) But it's better than uh, it's better than when I saw them running on flat ground. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they're like, what? I'm like, you guys look like runaway beer trucks, (laughs) like doors open, fucking beer cans flying out. And I told them, like, I only want you guys to run uphill. And they're like, but it's really slow. And I'm like you guys are just really slow. <laughs> I was like, I hill. need you to run up hill faster. And the reason I graded that, that hill we walked down, right. I graded that to have this kind of like, it kind of goes flat and then it kind of comes mm-hmm. up. I mean, the water's kind of messed it up a little bit, but the reason I graded it, that little steep little dig yeah. was cause I wanted it to be slow at the very top. There you go. And, uh, but, yeah, the, uh, the, the other one we found was, uh, well, actually, we were talking about this yesterday. We found three ways. One was the uphill running. The other one was uh, banded-resisted mm-hmm. running. But when we taught a bunch of seminars through the CrossFit deal, um, you know, we traveled all over the world and taught hundreds of seminars to thousands of people. And the problem was um, we would do, you know, the banded-resisted sprints, teach a great lean, but they're extremely hard because you have to have such hard turnover. Right. And, uh, those guys weren't ready to sprint right. and they exploded their caps. Exactly. We, I mean, the amount of people that would get hurt was like, a, a like a, a storm in the beaches at Normandy. We were like, we don't know, yep. like we're going out there with 40, we're only coming back with 35 kind of a deal. <laughs> so we cut that out. And then the other one we found was uh, pushing a really heavy sled. Yep. So like those three movements are really good mm-hmm. for speed development yep. because most people never learn the position they need to be in because yep. they can never move fast enough. That's it. I've, the
3: the position a heavy sled puts you in as well as taking out the eccentric portion, yeah. you know, we we can build that in at certain times and you get great great bang for your buck out of those things. You know, and that that's what I'm after. It's hard to hurt a guy sprinting up a hill. It really yeah. is. <laughs> it
1: really is. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm I'm with you. I mean, uh yeah, there's um Uh, you know, because you you think about um, and I've just observed this for years when people would pull hamstrings, it was usually because of a horizon change. As they come out all of a sudden, like, you know, and I would see their head in a good position and then as they started lifting up, I would see the horizon and Uh as they started lifting, then all of a sudden as their chest got more upright, they would start reaching because they couldn't keep position. So as soon as... And the pattern so why we like the sleds and the
2: bands, it's more time Mm -hmm. rather than your max speed to organize and yep. figure out the
1: proper pattern
2: for that's it yep. yeah
3: that's so it.
1: so that horizon change became like our biggest impact or our biggest you know predictor and seeing that so that's like when we teach the pull-ups why we don't teach you know we yell at people for chin reaches and like when we do dead bugs and we do all these movements we're always trying to keep the chin down mm-hmm. because the first thing you do when you get tired is you throw your chin up and you change horizons and they pull hamstrings um, there's no way to change horizon on a hill sprint because as you're running your head is down and the horizon is changing with the head. it's it's just like it's like we fix so many problems with sprinting hills i'm like and i remember jim wendler telling me that i'm like ah and i kind of pushed back and then just had some observation i'm like god damn it that was a good observation (laughs) fucking jim wendler 531 yep fucker really i mean i I mean this in like a good way like a, a very noble thing that you're pulling the grip cord out of, like, a a major one because people get to the top and, you know, guys have this observation of, like, hey, once I get to the biggest, tallest hill, everything's going to be great. And I think you got there and realized that, like, me as a coach and really what I love to do, this isn't as fulfilling as what I did back then. And then the ability to, like, pull a U-turn and go back where people would say, hey, this is a you know, uh, step down in your career right, right, right. chase, you know, cause what's it, you know, it's like every string coach. The idea is I got to get to professional sports. I'm sure. going to do college. I'm going to get to the NFL. I'm going to do this. I got to get to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, I mean, for you to go, to go back and actually get into a space where you're going to a smaller school that allows you to develop athletes, uh, extremely noble and, and, uh, good on you for doing no, it. I, I,
3: I, this quote up here, the man in the arena, by Theodore Roosevelt, which I've sent him before many times, that, That so speaks to me because, you know, it's it's not how other people feel about me or or look at me like that logo on your shirt. You know, that doesn't mean
2: anything. I hate
3: that. that, That's ridiculous. Like Ryan Horn, who's one of my best friends, we've talked about this a lot. You guys had him on. Um, We we years ago decided that our first day at clinics, we're going to go and we're not going to wear a logo. So you go and you just hang out. You know, and and the next day, you know, as you start going to the presentations and stuff, you you throw your logo on, and you'd be amazed at how many more people want to talk to you. Oh yeah. By way of that, you know, versus when you didn't have it on. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just unbelievable to me to see that difference. And and so we enjoy doing that, and we just continue to try to stretch it out every year more and more to just not do it at all, you know, so we just hang out by ourselves and and see the people that we want to see, you know, because the longer you do this, the more people you know and the more people you meet. And, you know, we really enjoy going to those things and mainly hanging out with each other and our close group of friends, you know, but it, it becomes such a game for some people at those clinics, you know, to, to, "Quote unquote network," you know, and mm-hmm. it, is that networking? You know, by going up and saying, "Hey,
1: man, I like your Instagram story," you know, <laughs> things like that. Like, so that's that's what uh, text does. Terrific. You know, I am like, <laughs> no, that, uh, that, that man in the arena that comes, uh, my brother Ed actually sent me that my brother, Ed's a criminal defense attorney. right? And so, uh, and he, he like my dad, you know, made his bones working, you know, like trying cases in court and like, you know, being the man in the arena and he's, you know, uh, represents a bunch of high end, you know, murder stuff. So he's always on like Dateline and CNN. Mm-hmm. And I remember he sent me that in the mail and, uh, I try to read it you know, pretty often. And he's like, you know, all that matters is the man in the arena and your that's execution it. of this deal. That's and the critics are, can be the critics. And the reason it. they're the critics is because they're sitting on their ass watching you do it. Yeah. for sure. So no, that's great. Well, man, thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. incredible podcast. And, uh, dude, I'm stoked for no, it. Congratulations. This is, this is
3: great, man. I, I've always loved this one and how organic it is. And just the, the, the different directions it goes and things like that. So we didn't
1: even get into
2: movies.
1: (laughs) 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 We'll save that for another one, but we did get a Luke Summers, uh, burn on. I was happy about that. I was trying to work that one in (laughs) very organic nicely. done, Ah, Dude, you know what? I mean, you know, we, we have a rule that, um, you know, usually we have, uh, our co our, our co hosts, which is Luke and Tex, and then I'm I'm the uh, friend of the podcast. Yeah, I'm the friend of the podcast. I'm the special guest, and so if one of us isn't here, just instantly it's a, it's absurd. Or assume that if you're not here, you're gonna catch. You gotta it. crush them. Yeah, like, you got absolutely. That right. That's a I mean, Luke is at home right now, just massaging his wife's feet, making sure everything's fine, taking care of the baby. He's nursing. He's he's doing good. Uh, I suppose. All right. Best of luck. We'll we'll follow you this season, and then when another final
2: four run we'll get you back on and we'll, we'll wrap about it absolutely oh, absolutely thanks. thank thanks, you Dad.
1: cool <laughs> thanks Dan appreciate it bye, drop on, bye. Drop on, drop on.
0: Drop on, now it's time for you to empower your performance get to know Daniel Roos by following him on Instagram at dr24187 and be sure to track VCU's progress at vcu underscore hoops until next time bye